life in the course of the everyday uh, gives you scenarios and situations where you respond with, uh, how am I supposed to deal with this? Like, how, how, how do I respond to this situation? I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that, and sometimes it can be a little bit more odd, like, hmm, that's interesting. Sometimes they can elicit more uh, anxiety or frustration or anger. Um, maybe sometimes you might even look at it and, and laugh. But, um, you know, doing, doing years of student ministry um, here at East Cooper, I was a youth pastor here for 12 years, and uh, I got a lot of interesting scenarios that I run into with leaders and with some students, with parents. And I was, I was teaching a high school class once, and um, the class went well, and we had a, uh, I, had, I had a girl who worked with me on staff, and her name was Abby. And, um, you know, if, 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 if girls needed counsel or whatever, then um, I, would, I would direct them to Abby, more, a much more appropriate conversation there. And so I was teaching this class one Sunday morning, and uh, it was in the next room over, actually, and the class ended, and everyone kind of chatted for a little while, and they started moving out, and Abby left the room to uh, get ready for the next thing, whatever we were doing. This girl, who I'd never seen before, walked up to me, and she said, uh, Danny, I thought your lesson was really good. Okay, well, thank you. Appreciate that. And I'm kind of like, where's Abby? You know, like, I'm not sure what this girl is going to ask or what she might need, but I want to I introduce her to Abby, you know? And so this girl kept talking, and she said, you know, there was something special about what you're, what you're saying and how you're saying it. I said, okay, thank you. Um, and she said, while you were teaching, your hands were glowing. What do you say to that? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so. Uh, and in my mind, I'm like, Abby, ah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I need help. And uh, she said, um, "She said I'm an artist. And I, can we get together? Because I want to draw your hands." And at that point, I was like, "Have you met Abby?" <laughs> um, and you know, she's here. And I was like, "You know, y'all should get together." And it, it was one of those situations where in my, I, I, I didn't. I, what do you say? I mean, like, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? And that's all I said. That's all I responded to was like, okay, well, yeah. Um, let me introduce you to Abby. You know, we walked out. We found Abby. I told Abby, you know, not with her. I was like, <laughs> I'm glowing. I, I, you know. So we thought it'd be funny if, like, we if the three of us got together and like I was wearing gloves, you know, and I like pulled the gloves off. <laughs> you know, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, but then there are other times, you know, just in the course of life when, you know, um, things just go poorly. And we're living in a fallen world. You're, you work with sinners. You work with uh, people who are not believers. And sometimes you, you butt heads with people. And, and, and there are even times, I would say, probably everybody in this room at some level has had a situation where you run into somebody and it's like they have it out for you. <laughs> have you ever felt that before? Um, and it, maybe you're not, you're not sure what it is, um, but you feel like this guy, this guy's got it out for me, or this girl has got it out for me. She just, or, or she just doesn't like me, or they're talking behind your back, or, or maybe there's even been extreme situations where you, um, they might even be trying to pull strings to get you fired, or. Different thing. I mean, I, I've heard a hundred stories like that, and I've been in situations like that. And it's like, I don't know what this person has against me, um, but there's something going on here, and they got it out for me. Um, and I've been in those situations before. And so if, if, you, if you ever find yourself in a situation like that, um, you know, there are multiple ways to respond. You know, you could, you could say, well, the Bible says somewhere, you know, turn the other cheek, right? And so maybe you're going to a friend, you're like, this person's got it out for me. Um, I don't know what I did. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe they just want my job or, or they just want to look better. So they're saying things that they're doing things that are um, deceitful or mischievous or whatever, and they're going out for me. So what do I do? And your friend gives you wise biblical counsel. Like, Turn the other cheek. You know, just you know, do what Jesus did. He just took it. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, 
we're in the workforce here, like, can I stand up for myself and say, well, maybe, maybe you need to go to somebody and like report them, you know, or um, talk to your boss and say, hey, this person's got it out for me. So just so you know, but you know, question what they have to say. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done that before, but probably lots of us have done stuff like that. Um, or you could do nothing, you know, just like, well, I'm just going to roll with it and, you know, wait out the storm and see if they get over it or just see how this thing pans out. Or, you know, you might go to somebody and you say, what should I do? And they might say, um, the Bible says to go for the jugular, <laughs> you know, like, like if they're, they're going to go for me, then I'm going to go for you. And like, you know, as long as you're not like lying, uh, but you can, you can go, you know, you can go at it and try to take them down because if they're going to, you know, dog eat dog world out there. No, nobody else is a believer here. And as long as I'm not cursing while I do it, you know, if they're going to take me down, I'm going to take them down. I mean, there's, there's all these different angles with really how you deal with situations of, of people who are against you. And I'm not talking about, like, a terrorist against you. I'm talking about people in the everyday world who, for whatever reason, uh, in a big way or in a small way, have something against you or in some way are, are kind of out for you. And that's what this psalm is addressing. All right, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 5. And there are many psalms that um, are actually written in a, a non-specific way. Uh, there are many psalms that are written as, as songs, uh, to sing as songs of worship, uh, but they're written not necessarily with a specific instance in mind, so that it has a broad application, like it's designed to be applied broadly. So it's not one of those situations where you have to always ask yourself, I wonder what David, the psalmist here, was specifically going through at this specific time in his life. Was it when his son Absalom was trying to topple his kingdom and he was going, he was going for David's jugular and he was trying to kill him so that he could take over? So therefore, David is feeling in despair and he's trying to figure out what to do? No, not necessarily. But it's a situation that uh, we, as believers, are able to look at, at this psalm and see that it has a very specific purpose uh, but it has a very broad application for us as the singer to do and apply it into our life. So this will probably become a little bit more clear as we read. But I want to read Psalm chapter 5 um, uh, twice to us. It's 12 verses. I'm reading out of the ESV. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. I want to read this again. As we uh, let this marinate on us a little bit. This is a song with a broad application. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple 
in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in your mouth. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter me with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. And those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Uh, this psalm, this song, um, if you're speaking of it in the context of a song, like la, 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 song, um, I'm going to say that this song has four um, song verses. All right, Now, there are verses like verse 1, verse 2, but just to differentiate, I'm going to call them song verses. All right, so, so four stanzas, if you will, where the psalmist is really going through a protocol here. A protocol of how one deals with other people who have it out for you in, 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 in a broad range of speaking. All right? So the first uh, song verse is verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So, in the four song verses, I'm going to point out four different steps that the uh, psalmist uh, gives to us as we deal with people who have it out for us. Number one is we ask God to hear us. Look at the verbiage. It's pretty strong. Give ear to my words. All right, it's a calling out to God. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Consider my groaning. I think anytime anybody hears uh, the word groaning, uh, we often think of the verse in Psalm chapter 8 that talks about how the Spirit is able to decipher our groans. All right? When there's something going on in our life, and we don't even fully necessarily know how to verbalize it, the Spirit knows. When we go to him and seek counsel. Romans chapter 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is in, in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's because of the Holy Spirit um, that we are able to uh, speak to God the Father. So when we look at these verses, the psalmist here is actually spending effort and time making his request known to his God. Now, I don't want this to slip by us here. One of the most important things in our walk with Christ, because we're not living in the Old Testament, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and that means you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and your pursuit of Jesus Christ requires something of you. It requires your time. That, that the active pursuit of Jesus Christ demands time spent. And I'm not saying that in the context of uh, I have to be busy for him. But the psalmist here is not simply addressing the problem in his life by saying, Ah, God, help me out here. Or he's not saying, Oh, oh God, help me. You know, this is frustrating, so I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of blow a, a kiss of a prayer to God and say, God, help me broadly in this situation. The psalmist is dedicating groaning. He, he, he is pleading. He is soliciting his God, and those things take time. And as believers, one of the things that we need to do as we walk through this life is we must dedicate time to our God. And, I wish that there was another, another term for quiet time or devotional time or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Your personal time with God, but that's, that's what it is. It's something that you have, it is time that you have devoted. It is quiet time. It is personal time. It is time that you are not simply just blowing through some scripture or necessarily just praying on the drive to work or praying before meals, but where you are stopping and, and ultimately 
in a way, sacrificing something that is very valuable in this day and age, time. A lot of times, our time is more valuable uh, than our money. And we might not have a lot of money, um, but we're busy, you know? Or you might have a lot of money, but you're busy. Either way. In verse 3, it says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and I watch. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. I give something of myself as an act of obedience for you, and I give it expectantly, watching to see how you're going to take that thing and use it for your greater purposes. In the Old Testament times, a sacrifice was something that was not only done out of obedience, but a sacrifice was something that was done to show uh, your reliance, to show that you were dependent on a greater being, in this case, Yahweh. A sacrifice was not something that was just a token, but it was the best of the best. It was the, the prize lamb. It was, it was the best part of your crop. It was the 10% off of the top. And a lot of times, these things were sacrificed, literally, like slaughtered, and then burned up, you know? So it's not like we're not, not just dedicating this so that somebody else could use it for God's purposes. No, it's like releasing it, and it's gone. And in 2014... You know, when we're like, well, let's use our resources well, a lot of times you can look at, a, a, you know, the, the Old Testament version of a sacrifice and be like, well, that's awfully wasteful, <laughs> you know? Surely my valuables can be better used elsewhere. When you look at the heart of what a sacrifice is, it is something that is saying, I am I'm relinquishing control. I'm relinquishing uh, value as mankind uh, assigns. I'm relinquishing um, the rights that I have to determine what I think is best. And I am saying, God, I submit to you what you think is best. I, I give to you based on obedience, and I'm going to believe and trust that you're going to take that obedience of mine, and you're going to show me the way, that you are going to bless my obedience, that, that you're going to keep your side of the promise, which is all through Scripture, you follow my, uh, my commandments, you, you obey me, and you will find blessing. You, you will find me there. I will show you the way. I will light your path. I will make your path straight when you do those things. So the psalmist here is not just saying life is frustrating, but he is dedicating specific time and resources and energy and really committing, submitting, denying his own will sacrificially and saying, God, in this crap situation, I am submitting myself to you and saying, God, please work. However you're going to do this. He's not saying, God, fix this. He's saying, God, help me. There's a difference. He's not saying, God, take this person out. But he's saying, God, help me. Number one, ask God to hear our cry, to hear our groaning, to give attention to my cry for to you do I pray. The second thing, in the second psalm verse, the psalmist really <coughs> begins with his plea, saying, this is what I desire, God. Please hear my cry, hear my groaning, for to you do I pray, to you do I offer a sacrifice, and then wait and watch for you to do what you do, God. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we see a doctrinal song verse here. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. This is just straight up doctrine right here. Now, what doctrine is, doctrine is the belief system that supports the things that you believe. All right, So it's not just saying, um, I believe that sin is wrong, but doctrine tells you why it's wrong. Okay? Doctrine, doctrine is not just the belief that man is a sinner, but, but the doctrine behind that is, is, why do I believe that man is a sinner? The psalmist here is, is, is speaking just straight up truth. He's saying, God... You are, are so mighty and righteous, and the, 
the definition of you will not allow you to be in the presence of evil. That, that evildoers have it coming in the form of wrath and judgment. I mean, these are strong words. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. You don't stand for this, oh my God. Evil may not dwell with you. It cannot be in your presence because you are too mighty. You are too righteous. You are too set aside. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes, meaning they will be brought down and forced to bow. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. There's a progression of, of, of the depth of these words. It starts off with, you don't delight, and we're all the way now to the point of destroying. Verse 6, you destroy those who speak lies, and the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So the psalmist is facing a situation where people have it out for him. So he first starts off by saying, God, please hear my cry. Second, he just goes into a stanza of doctrine saying, God, you, you, can't, you, don't, you don't stand for this. This is not a command from the psalmist to God. He's just simply stating the character traits of God. Um, the commentator Leupold says uh, that no form of evil can dwell with the Lord. These are not words spoken against the specter, or uh, these are not words spoken against a specific evildoer. Rather, confidence that the Lord will deal with them and that a known judgment awaits them. A known judgment. Um, do you believe doctrinally? that wrath will come to the evildoer? Do you believe that based on Scripture, not just kind of a cosmic form of somehow ultimate justice will be met, but do you believe doctrinally that wrath will be poured on the evildoer? That's an important question. We don't we often don't think about that in the context of, of people at work. We might want that. <laughs> Lord, during lunch today, you know, if you wanted to make lava fall on this cubicle, thy will be done. You know? Um, I'm not saying, you know, but, you know, if you, if you will it, Father. No. It, the psalmist isn't speaking vindictively here. He is simply saying that he believes in wrath, in, 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 the, in, in the burning up, ultimately, of evil and evildoers. And so often, this is so not politically correct, you know? Um, Bones and I were talking before Sunday school about the, the stupid bumper sticker that says coexist, you know, and it's kind of like, why don't we all just get along? And, you know, by all getting along, we're not placing judgment on anybody else. And ultimately what you're saying is that I don't believe in God's wrath. You know, I don't believe in God's wrath. If I, if I coexist, you know, and say, hey, you're okay, we're okay, we're all, all okay, let's, let's hug. But this is serious. And then the psalmist is saying, that those that are not Christ followers, all right, so I'm, this is not just saying that, the, the, you know, if you're running into issues with somebody at work who has it out for you, it's not saying that they're Hitler, it's not saying that they're a jihadist, but if they're not a Christ follower, and they're behaving like a non-Christ follower would, by definition of Scripture, they're evil and wicked, and that's not a, look how evil and wicked you are as opposed to how bright and shiny I am. No, that is not what the text is saying. But wrath is due then. And again, not in a vindictive way. But in, in a, this is serious. This is serious sort of way. One of the most well-known verses, if you're ever sharing the gospel with somebody, is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. For the payment of sin, big or small, is death. 
for, for the result of any sin is death. Death is equal to sin. Sin is equal to death. We're talking about lying. We're talking about deceitful um, thoughts. We're talking about um, cheating. We're talking about sleeping around. Like sin equals death. Wrath. Eternal hell. Which, which, which is an unending pit, literally, of, of fire where the worm does not die, where there is screaming and gnashing of teeth for endlessness. That's wrath. You do not, you are not a God who delights in wickedness because you are perfect, God. Evil may not dwell with you because you are, are all good. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes because, God, you, you, you are the one who is high. You are the only one who can be jealous here. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. If we don't have proper doctrine, y'all, then our belief system changes with our circumstances. You know, if, if we don't believe that wrath is due to those that are not Christ's followers, then we won't see the sin of the world as really all that bad. And when the sin of the world makes an appearance in our life, as it done, does from here, from now, time to time, then we don't see it as quite that bad. And, and, and we deal with it, and we put up with it, and, and we don't see it as the way God sees it, and that it's dangerous. I remember being a young teenager, and I was in church, and my young teenage days were early 90s. And it seemed like the abortion issue was hot, hot, hot topic in the early 90s. It still is now, but it was everywhere. And I remember... Um, being in a good little church boy um, and really kind of hearing about abortion for the first time and uh, but I, I had enough wits about me um, to think through the issue and I specifically have this memory of sitting in church and they were talking about how bad and evil biblically wrong abortion is and I remember thinking if I ever found myself in a situation where I got a girl pregnant, I think I would want to abort the baby because I, it would be embarrassing. And I mean, I know I shouldn't, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, want, I would want to deal with it. And I think I would rather just, you know, sin... Uh, than have to make it known to the world that I had done something like that. And then, and then I questioned that thought with what Scripture has to say. I remember going through this process and, and how life is sacred. And I walked through the, the doctrine behind the sanctity of life. And... I formed an opinion based on scripture and based on doctrine that says, no, this is what I base my life upon. This is what I base my belief system on. Not just a whim, not just a feeling, not just an, an, an avoiding maneuver, but this is doctrine. Does that make sense? And at that point in my teenage life, I hadn't formed the doctrine on that and, until... I actually worked through it, you know? And that's why doctrine is important. So we can't just be, you know, we can't just sit around and think, oh, yeah, I think that's wrong. We, we need to have a belief system based on what the Bible has to say on homosexuality. It's not, oh, you know, what the Bible says it's wrong. Well, you, you, need, to, you need to figure out what it, what it says and build your argument on that, you know? The, the doctrine of the sinfulness of man, you know? Yeah, everybody's a sinner. Well, you need to build a doctrine on that so that you can stand on it. The psalmist here is going through hard times, and we are going to go through hard times too, you know, where there are going to be people out there that are making life difficult for you, 
And we need to both go to God, but we need to base our following steps on something that is more than just opinion, that is more than just emotion in the moment, more than just, well, uh, how, what do you think is the best scenario here? That We need to figure out what it is we believe in, what the Bible has to say in these different situations so that we have a, uh, we have a rock to stand on. And that's why we're here right now, you know, so that we're hopefully building doctrine. So the psalmist is going to doctrine. The third um, song verse is verses 7 and 8. It says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So this third song verse... The psalmist is responding to this doctrine that he just stated. Um, he's applying what we see now as the gospel. He says, but I, in contrast, all right, so before this, in verses 4, 5, and 6, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But I, in contrast, but I, not by work of my own, through the abundance of your steadfast love, God, but I, by, by the mercies of God, but, but I, by, by the washing of rebirth, but I, by, by the... By the the wonderful offer of forgiveness that you have given me, God Almighty, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. You know what can't enter the house of God? Sin. We just established that in verses 4, 5, and 6. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, meaning a restitution has taken place. This is the gospel. That he has offered sacrifices, and that the God who is the, the wrath giver... The God who demands justice has received the justice through a sacrificial giving, and he has been made pure so that he can enter into the house of God. But I, on contrast, not by any merit of my own, not by any work of my own, but through your steadfast love. Steadfast love of the Lord is, is mentioned 123 times in the Psalms. It's an, it's, it's an, it's an incredible picture of the God of the Psalms and the God of the Old Testament, the steadfast love, the continuing love, the ongoing love, the never-ending love, the, the persistent love, the unconditional love. But I, in contrast, by your mercy, as I am bowed to you, saying I have nothing to offer because I am a sinner, I am broken, just like the doctrine that I just stated before you, I can enter into your house because of your steadfast love, not because of mine. The boastful, excuse me, uh, uh, verse 7b, the second part, I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you, or in awe of you, in, in, in recognizing your grandeur and your greatness. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. In the Old Testament, you bowed down towards your God. And so if you were not in Jerusalem and you would pray, oftentimes people would pray towards Jerusalem. Because what's in Jerusalem? The temple, the dwelling place of God, the Holy of Holies. That's, that's where God is. The Holy Spirit had not been released into the hearts and the lives of individual believers until after Christ, until Christ gave that. So that in, in Old Testament times, people would, would bow down and pray physically, say, like looking with their mind and their body towards Jerusalem, towards your city, God, because that's where you dwell. During the Babylonian captivity, um, when the nation of Israel had, had, had repeatedly sinned and turned their backs on God, and God said, okay, I'm going to send you off into captivity as judgment. They're taken out 
of Israel into Babylon. And that's where the story of Daniel, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, all those stories, they're not in Israel. They're not in Jerusalem. And, and we see in uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, that when Daniel is praying in the window before he's cast into the uh, den of lions, he's praying towards Jerusalem. So even though he can't see it out there, he's saying, this is the direction of where my God lives, and I'm going to give my attention and focus myself to him. So when the psalmist says in verse 7, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house because you have made me pure and allowed that, I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Verse 8 says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. The psalmist is pleading with God, saying, not saying, fix this, but he's saying, show me. He's not saying, take this person out. He's saying, what should I do, my God? I don't know. I need you. But he isn't saying, take this person out, solve all my problems, but show me the way to go. I mean, how often have, I mean, I could think, there's a, there's a specific time in my life where I was going through one of the most difficult times of my life, and I just, I mean, I was discouraged, maybe even semi-depressed, um, beaten, defeated, and uh, God in his providence eventually solved the problem. Um, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't fall on my face before God, and I held on to angst and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. And the problem in my life solved, but boy, I held on. And it ate my lunch. I mean, I held on to it. It's like, God, damn, these people screwed me over so bad. I, God, I can't believe it. And the situation was over. Like, it was done. Um, and, but I still, I still brood. And so the psalmist is not saying, because he sees that the solution, the real solution here, is not just a, a blank check solving all my problems, oh God. But he's saying, God, show me the way. Show me the path to take where I can find the greatest joy. Because we see the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, that his problems weren't solved. He was still in prison, but he was still filled with joy and still unspeakably used and in the, in the right place where God had him, even though he was in jail. So his problems materially and physically weren't specifically solved, but God was giving him joy and giving him rest and using him for generations to come. I'd like to, uh, for us to flip to John, chapter 2. Where we see a New Testament application here. John chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus is uh, in the temple, and he's tossed some tables. Um... And people are angry with him. Like, why did you do that? Who gives you the right to do these things here? John chapter 2, verse 18. This is Jesus uh, speaking here. John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Why, why, are, you, why are you tipping the tables? Why are you condemning us? Verse 19. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, this building. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is a situation in the Gospel of John where Jesus is drawing attention away from the temple really for the first time saying that this temple this dwelling place of God will be destroyed the holy of holies will be ripped open and it will no longer be the holy of holies it will be me I will be the temple and it will be rebuilt in three days he'll be brought back to life and after the fact the disciples remembered that and they saw that 
And the temple at that point forward, for Christians, the temple was another building. It was not a holy place anymore. It was not the dwelling place of God anymore. Because the Holy Spirit had been uh, sent to the hearts of all those that have become Christ followers. And so when you read in verse 7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter into your house. I will bow down toward you, Lord Jesus. I will bow down towards you, the author and perfecter of my faith, Lord Jesus. You will be the one that I pray to. You'll be the one that I pray towards. You, Lord Jesus, are the one who makes all the difference in this situation. I'm asking you to give me help. I'm going to build this all on correct doctrine, and then I'm going to respond to that doctrine by applying the gospel to my own life. Even though in the situation I don't see myself as the one who's necessarily sinning, because there's someone who's out, out for me. But I'm going to take the gospel, the truth that I have, and apply it to my own life. Lead me, O oh God, in your righteousness. Show me the way that I need to take. Don't just fix my problems. Show me the way that I need to take because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And then the final song verse. Is a calling on God to act on his character. Saying, God, you are, this is not a demand, saying you are definable. There are things that we can know specifically and definitively about you, and I am calling on you, God, to be you, God. I'm calling you to do the things that make you God. Verse, verse 9. There is no tr- truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destructive. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their own tongue. Verse 10. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. One of the things that God does is he brings justice. And by justice, he brings wrath to those who have sinned. Flip to Romans chapter 3, if you would, please. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. And we see in Romans 3, 9... Paul building the doctrine that all men have sinned. Romans 9, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Paul is building a doctrine that all have sinned. Romans 3, 9 says this. But what then? Are we Jews any better off? Meaning less sinners? Question mark. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and, and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. These are direct quotes from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Verse 13, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Does that sound familiar? Um... That is uh, from verse 9 of the, the psalm that we're looking at. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Uh, 5, 9. Uh, continuing in, in, in Romans nine thirteen, The venom of asps is under their lips. That's from Psalm 140. Verse 14. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. From Psalm 10. Their feet are swift to shed blood. It's Proverbs 1 and Isaiah 59. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. From Psalm 36. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That the whole world may be held accountable to God. Meaning that there is judgment for those who are sinners. Again, doctrine. And the psalmist here is calling upon God to bring the judgment 
that he has said will come. Verse 10 says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Again, this is not said. It's hard, it's hard for, to us, for us not to read this as if it's a vindictive way. But when our hearts are right, it is never wrong or inappropriate for us to pray prayers that call on God to be his nature, to, to act according to his nature, to act according to his character. That's what makes God God, is the things that are definable only, only as God, we can pray for, for him to do those things. And that's what the psalmist here is doing. But it ends at the same tone, calling on God to act on his character. Verses 11 to 12 say this, but in contrast to the acting of your character on the evildoers, in the same way, according to your character, God, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. God, you've made promises to us who are obedient. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. So the psalmist is ending by calling on God to act in his character, not only for the evildoers. God, God, bring your judgment on them, which is what is due them. And what is due you as the Almighty, one who cannot have sin in your presence, who cannot look at those that are boastful. Do what you do, God, and, and bring your wrath and judgment on them. But God, by your mercy and your grace and your love and your forgiveness for those of us that have have fallen at your feet and have acknowledged your truth and have followed the steps of, of forgiveness that you've, you've given to us, show us mercy. Give us protection from those evildoers and give us protection from your wrath, which you've promised. And I can claim your promises, God. I, I can say, God, you have promised this, and I can say, God, do that for me, please. I can claim the things that you have said I will do for you. But let all who take refuge... Who, who hide under your wings. All who take refuge in you, in you rejoice. Because these are good things. These are good times to know that the victory has been won through the work of Christ. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. And those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous. Those that have walked in the steps that you have commanded. O Lord, you cover him over with favor as with a shield. There's a theme here in these last two verses of covering. Those who take refuge, uh, who ask for God to spread your protection over, and cover you as with a shield. Flip back to Romans where we just were in chapter 3, and these verses continue to say the same things. Romans chapter 3, we ended by saying that the whole world may be held accountable to God because they are sinners. Jump to verse 21. Romans chapter 3, 21, but it says, Now the righteous, that's what Psalm 5 is talking about at the end here, you bless the righteous, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest, or has been showed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness, meaning the Old Testament shows this, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, meaning that we are covered by the work of Jesus Christ. We, we find refuge in the work of Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Verse 23, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Verse 25, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, meaning a, a, a wrath-bearer, a, a wrath receiver in your place that Jesus Christ has done this for, uh, for me and has covered me and, and saved me from the due wrath God put, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blood to be received by faith and this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins meaning not all sins are judged immediately but they will be judged verse 26 it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one 
who has faith in Jesus Christ. So that God will be just. And sin will be punished. There is wrath to be met for the evildoer. But God can both be just and the justifier because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That he can justify our sins for us when we step out in faith and say, God, I do believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that I am a sinner that is due your wrath. But I submit myself to, say, to you and say, God, I believe in you and I believe in the work of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now take the wrath that was due me for me so that I can now walk into your home justified. Verse 12 is kind of a glory call. You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Whether it's now or later, we're all going to be facing situations where there are people who have it out for us. Maybe you're in it now, maybe you've already been through it, or maybe it's something that's coming to the future. But one one of the great things of the whole counsel of God is that you can face any situation in life, and the Bible has truth to apply to it. And so we see four simple steps that the psalmist has outlined for us on how to deal with these kinds of situations. That first, we must dedicate ourselves and time and ask God to hear us. And second, we can't just say blah, 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 blah. We have to base our opinions and our belief system on doctrine. And then we have to respond and act to that doctrine, which ultimately is applying the gospel to our own life, even when somebody is out for us, even when somebody is literally sinning against us. And we haven't done anything to them. We still go back and apply the gospel to our own life. And then we call on God. God, act on your character in this situation. And show me the way, God, because I don't know. Show me the way to righteousness. That's all I have. That's all I have to hold on to. Danny, i got to ask this real Wait, quick. I'm sorry. we got to pray because I went a little long. Um, and then i got to dismiss us. Sorry. Father God, I thank you for your truth. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you that it is powerful. I thank you that we can find refuge in it. I thank you for the gospel that we can apply to our life, even when people have it out for us. Father, I pray for the young adults in this room, that you would help them to see this and to apply truth to their life, even even when things are, are bad and people are out for them. I thank you for your love in Jesus' name.